being the first is important. You might say other clubs do things that you're doing too, but if no other club in the area has owned a rung in the ladder and owned the first in the minds of the consumer or the member, a potential member, you have an opportunity to own it. And once you own a first in the mind, it's very hard or impossible for a competitor to dislodge it. From Tallahassee to the Keys and everywhere in between, this is Education Elevated on the FLCMAA Podcast Network. Larry Golko's core business philosophy focuses on Ralph Waldo Emerson's mantra, do not go where the path may lead, go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. He provides leadership direction as a visionary, creating bold and disruptive strategies to uniquely position brands to compete more effectively in today's rapidly evolving and ever-changing business landscape. Settle in, turn up the volume on this education session. So what I want to do today is talk about brand building, and it's really like a journey I want to take you on, because um, what we're going to talk about today has nothing to do with budget. It has to do with how you take a look at your brand, it has to do with taking a fresh look, and also developing a brand voice. Because people tell me over the years, you know, as a brand strategist or a growth advisor, um, I don't have the budget so-and-so has. But it's nothing to do with budget at all. It has to do with how you really look at your brand and how you want to be, you know, what are you going to be famous for? And so to start off, before I start the presentation, I want to just share with you some of my um, impressions of what's happening in the landscape as far as brand building. You know, first of all, I always tell people that, you know, a great brand, a successful brand is not the result of building a great um, marketing campaign. So really building a great business story. Like what's the story you want to tell about your club, or your brand? Second thing is a lot of brands out there either lose their focus or don't have a focus. And when you don't have a focus, you're really dead in the water. You lose your focus. You basically dilute the power of your brand and you're known to many people for very little. And a lot of brands today, unfortunately, don't really deliver what I call a remarkable customer experience, a remarkable member experience because anybody can do good or better. So I want to just kind of take you through a few things today um, and that I think I have seven different strategies that I think that, again, just, just conceptually, when I, when I talk about them, think about how they're going to apply to your club or your organization, because it all makes sense. And again, I can't emphasize enough. It's all about conceptually of how we look at our brand. So as best said, the title of my presentation early on is write the book you want to read, seven game strategies, seven game changing strategies, take your brand to the next level. And the next level is different for every one of you. So I want to start off with a quote that I really, it's a mantra that I've lived by. And I really believe in some, in some way that Ralph Waldo Emerson back in 1850, he created the uh, term brand marketing because Ralph always said, do not go where the path may lead, go instead there's no path and leave a trail. And isn't that really what brings all about? We can either, we can either be a me too following brand, what I call a sea of sameness and everybody goes left. But when, when people go left, I want you to go right. You know what I'm saying? Otherwise, you're not, a, you're not a brand or you're not a name brand, you're a brand name. And it's a real big distinction. A name brand is a brand that's a go-to brand, an aspirational brand. People want to buy you. People want to join. People want to work for you. People want to write about you. But a brand name, you, you file it with the government and you're all done. So again, do not go where the path may lead. Go so there's no path and leave a trail. That's the way you win if you want to call it in this marketing war. So the first topic I want to talk about, I mentioned is focus. You have to focus your brand and specialize and be the go-to brand either in your market or in your category. Um, 
because if you, if you don't focus your brand to, to really be known for something really special, you're really going to lose. As so I want to show you an illustration, because a lot of things I do are illustrative of my concepts. So I want to show you one illustration initially. First of all, is Q-tip. If I had the opportunity to create a brand that's going to emulate a great brand out there, that's singular, that's known for one thing only, it'd be the Q-tip. Because I'm sure a lot of you, your members don't come to you and say, hey, we're out of cotton swabs. They say we're out of Q-tips. This photo was taken. I did at my Brain and Debbie Treat program at St. Andrews about a year and a half ago. And, and then when I was in the um, locker room, I saw this, this container of Q-tips. I said, this is perfect. It's exactly what we're talking about during our one-day program today. A Q-tip, again, they're singular. They're known for one thing. They're not into baby wipes. They're not into shampoos. They're not into uh, conditioners, nothing else. They have one product, a singular, and that's why they've been successful for 100 years. And they've been acquired twice since then as well. So if I look at a brand saying, you know, uh, what brand really should we really emulate? If you can be the Q-tip in your category, you are gonna win. So the first illustration I wanna show you about the importance of being a specialist, not a generalist. I believe again, in my opinion, that specialists win, generalists lose. And when department stores, as you know, they're going out of business left and right today, they're generalists. And department stores really, um, what department stores did wrong was trivial to what the competition did right. Because every department in a department store became a well-known global specialized brand known for something very unique, a value proposition unlike any other in the category. So I just wanna share with you my, my thought process. The first one's Barnes and Noble. Years ago, there was a book department and like a Macy's, right? And they grew out of the little the, the book department and became known as Barnes and Noble. Then there was a little bedding department. They had a few pillows, a few uh, sheets, a few other things for the, for the bedroom. And which brand did they become? Bed, Bath & Beyond. The next one was a makeup department. There was a makeup department that might've had three or four aisles of you know, um, Clinique, whatever it might be. And then what brand was born out of the makeup department in, in department stores was Sephora. And then housewares became Crate and Barrel. I'm sorry, became Crate and Barrel. And then the lingerie department, we all know, where you had a very small department of lingerie for women became Victoria's Secret. Consumer Electronics became Best Buy. Um, sporting Goods became Dick's. And then the little blender department, I might have three or four blenders and a few other things for your kitchen counter became William Sonoma. So it's important to see here that, again, the big picture is when you generalize with your club brand and you want to be known to everything, everybody, you're known for nothing to many people. So what can you do with your brand to be known as these eight brands I just showed you? What can you do to be singular? What can you do to specialize in something so people perceive there's no brand quite like yours in the market or the space that, that you work in? Are you occupied? Okay. The second topic I want to talk about is the concept is really powerful, being first in the mind. First in the mind wins. So take a deep dive and say to yourself, what are we really selling? Now, it is a really powerful concept because um, when you look at what you're really selling, the concept of being first is huge. You don't have to be first to be the first to do it, but the first to say it. I, I, again, I like always giving illustrations because it resonates and we have a meaningful conversation. So the first computer in the world was not invented by IBM, but IBM positioned themselves as the first computer. And think of it, for example, if I ask you who is the number one car rental company um, 
in, in the country, the first answer usually is Hertz. The second is usually Avis. Well, for I think 75 years, Avis, we try harder. And then three, four, five, it could be Alamo, it could be budget, it could be whatever. But the thing is, we don't care who's second, third or fourth. We don't care about who's number one. And if I ask you also, what's the tallest mountain in the world? Most everybody says Mount Everest. And then some say Kilimanjaro and some say maybe K2, whatever. But again, the reason we don't know about number two, three or four, because honestly, we don't care. We really don't care who's second, third or fourth. So what can you do to be the first in the mind? And many times what we say is more important than what we do. You know, look, look for example, at some other first. Motorola created the first um, cell phone. How many of you listening today in the program have a Motorola phone? Or a Nike phone, for that matter of fact? We don't. So the first in the mind, it's all psychology. We have to occupy the first position in the minds of the consumer in order to really win. Okay? And if I ask you also, if you all close your eyes right now, and I ask you, if you can remember the first person that you kissed, maybe you were 12 years old, maybe you were 14 years old, it doesn't even matter to me, right? If you can remember who it was and where it took place, that is huge, right? But if I ask you now, who's the second person you kissed, where it was, who he or she was, it's very hard to remember. I myself personally can't. I remember the first girl I kissed. I mean, I remember her name was Marlene. I remember she was around 12 or 13 years old. I kissed her on her cheek and then her parents drove up in the driveway and I ran through the woods like hell. I was scared out of my mind. And that was the end of that story. The thing is, I remember Marlene. I really, I'm not saying this because I'm giving the presentation today. I, I have no idea who the second girl was I kissed in my life. I have no idea. I can't even remember it, you know? So again, I keep saying this because being the first is important. You might say other clubs do things that you're doing too, but if no other club in the area has owned a rung in the ladder and owned the first in the minds of the consumer or the member, a potential member, you have an opportunity to own it. And once you own a first in the mind, it's very hard or impossible for a competitor to dislodge it. Once you own it, you own it. Okay, so I wanna give you some more illustrations about the first, okay, what they're really selling. What are these brands really selling? So if I show you for example, Holly Davidson, I don't know, Beth, can, can people talk to me right now? Can anybody yell out to me, what is Holly Davidson selling? Or are we kind of muted? They'll need to, un they'll need to unmute themselves to be able to be heard. Okay, if you want to sh shout out what Holly is saying. Motorcycle. No, okay. Okay, Holly is selling motorcycles. I'm sorry, Holly is making motorcycles. But what are they really selling that emotionally connects with the consumer? Because everybody sells motorcycles, right? True. But so what is Holly really selling that emotionally connects with the consumer? Badass lifestyle. A little further. Okay. Um, Holly is selling freedom. Holly decided years ago when I to consult with them, they're in the freedom business. And I know a few of you on the program today, I know you're, you're, you have cycles, but I'm not a cyclist, I'm not a biker, but I can imagine just like I, I was a boater for many years, when you're out in those, in those rope and roads and you're with a Holly, there's a psychological freedom that emulates, that reflects in your mind, right? And therefore, once Holly decided their brand voice is freedom, and they then create a website and a brand voice and all the communications that emulates freedom, a competitor cannot say we own freedom because Holly was the first to own freedom. And everything you see in the communications, social media, website, POP, store design, it all reflects a feeling of freedom. And that's huge. 
Okay, the next one, FedEx. What, what does FedEx own? Anybody want to yell it out? Fast. Besides, but, but so is the post office, they're fast. What else besides fast? What does FedEx own? What does FedEx own? Well, they own overnight. But if you had said earlier, FedEx was not the first company to create overnight. Emory Air Freight was, but FedEx decided to position themselves as the first in the mine. So when they said overnight positively by 11 in the morning, the post office can't do that. They, I'm sorry, they, can, they can't promote it. No, neither can UPS or anybody else. So again, once you put a stake in the ground and you really do a deep dive and a soul search as far as what you want to own, you own it until you give it up. Okay. The next one is BMW. What does BMW own? Anybody want to take a shot? You have a life. I'm sorry? You have a life. You made it. You made it? Okay. You know, someone told me Range Rovers that, that someone told me a while ago that if you're a Range Rover owner, it means you're insecure, but that status still, that logo said you made it as well. Okay, besides you made it, how about, how about another thought? Sorry, what does BMW own? All right, the ultimate driving machine. Now again, BMW, you can't say that you can't say they're selling luxury. Cadillac sells luxury, Lexus sells luxury, uh, Rolls Royce sells luxury. You know, all the cars in your in your parking lot from your members, there are a lot of luxury cars there. So they're not selling luxury. BMW is selling a different driving experience. Some say it's harder, some say it's not. You know, my wife, my, my daughter a little while ago, she had a chance between getting an Audi or BMW. She chose a BMW because she liked the drive. The Audi was a little more comfortable, but she liked the drive. She, I remember she said, Dad, I love coming off the highway on the ramp. This BMW, it hugs, it hugs the ramp. I said, fine, I get nothing against Audi, but if you want this experience that they claim and they deliver on their brand promise, for many, many, many decades, then BMW is the ultimate driving machine. And again, the first in the mind wins, nobody else can claim that. Hey, you're all familiar with the company Life is Good. Well, what are they selling? I'm gonna give a shot. And they're not selling t-shirts. T-shirts are an enabler. T-shirts are a vehicle to communicate what they're selling. What, what is Life is Good selling? Anybody have a shot? All right. They're selling optimism and good vibes. They started 25 years ago. It's all about feeling good, being optimistic, positivity. That's all they do. They're not selling mugs. They're, they're, they're not selling T-shirts. They're not selling um, um, uh, tire covers. But they're selling optimism and good vibes. And everything they do is an enabler. All the products they sell um, reflect and embody that feeling of optimism and good vibe. So you, get, you see where I'm coming from? You can say to yourself, your club, and later on someone's gonna say to me, well, our club, we sell lifestyle, but every catch club sells lifestyle. You know, and, and every bank sells, um, sells um, credit cards and bank accounts, and every law firm has, has bulleted information they sell. So it's, you're selling something much more grand, so much more, more important that really connects with your consumer or the member that you wanna to touch. Fresh Express, today we are living in an on-the-go society. This is a great case history, Fresh Express. As you know, they, uh, I'll tell you, that what Fresh Express sells, they're selling ready to eat packaged salad. So Fresh Express, all it is is a baggie, a Ziploc bag with lettuce, carrots, tomatoes in it, 
we consumers, consumers, I do the same thing. We pay $4.19 for a package of salad. You know why? Because we're so busy today, okay? I say it facetiously, we're so busy that we don't have time to cut lettuce today. We have to buy it already pre-cut for $4.19. So talk about the value of an idea. They're the first to market. They're the first to bag it. Then comes along Del Monte, a huge giant, right? Well, Fresh Express was the first. And they own 68% of the market of ready-to-eat packaged salad. Then anybody with anybody in marketing would think, or anybody in business, well, Del Monte's going to come in. They're going to steal their lunch. Excuse the pun, right? Well, they didn't. Del Monte came in and only got an 8% um, market share. Years later, Fresh Express, again, the first in the market, they invented a new category. They sold a chiquita banana for less than a billion dollars. And what it is, all it is is just a a Ziploc bag with salad. But we're so in the on the go today. I'll give another example. Duncan Brands, when I had a fireside chat with Duncan, I do these fireside chats at the Harvard Business School. He was telling me that people years ago, people sh showed up at a Duncan Brands or Duncan Donuts. They got a donut and coffee. They, they actually went in. They walked in the store. Then all of a sudden, they, they, they didn't have time to walk in. So they did one drive through Then they did two drive throughs And now the DD Perk app, you can you can call you can uh, type it in and they'll come to your car some of them and they'll bring it out to you. So I mean we live in such an open communicated society. We live on the go. We don't especially millennials. Millennials don't have the patience on the fly. So what we're going to do today more than ever before is to design our programs, our offerings, our packaging, whatever we're doing to our club members that really are on the go, ready to go. People have no convenience. I mean no 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 patience at all. So I say to you. What words or words can your club own that if you, if you own them, great. If you don't own them, what can you own that a competitor is not saying? So again, you might say to yourself, down the street, we have four clubs. They do what we do, and we all have the same thing. But if you can pick out one thing, whether it be family programs or youth golf or, or nine and dine couples or whatever it might be, if you can pick one or two things that no one else is talking about, they're not yelling from the rooftop, you have an opportunity to own it. And as I said earlier on, once you own these words, it's very hard or impossible for a competitor to dislodge or steal it from you. Okay, you know, talk about what words you wanna own. For years, I used to talk about Heinz, ketchup. Heinz had a campaign. You probably remember their, their TV spot. They had their campaign, um, and again, I'm not a singer. Um, Anticipation is making you crazy. These are the good old days, right? Well, what was Heinz selling? They were selling the word slow, S-L-O-W. So we had a choice. Do we want the Heinz ketchup that comes out slow? It's thick, it's natural. Or do we want um, Hunts that comes in a can that when you pour it, half a can is water. So you, you have a choice, right, as consumers? Do we want thick ketchup on our French fries? Or do we want our French fries initially garnished with water and then out comes the tomato sauce, right? So I, but you, you see what I'm saying? These words are so key as far as really owning something because, you know, it, it's just, I, I can't say it enough, but it's a powerful concept for owning something in the marketplace. Okay. The third idea I want to share with you is you have to dominate your product category. There is no substitute for innovation. You have to create what I call internal branding, your team members there at the club. You have to create a thought leadership culture that embraces bold and disruptive thinking. I do not want to hear any more people telling me 
that we think out of the box. That is a yawner. Think out of the box is a yawner. It's a 1990s term. Anybody can think out of the box. What does it mean? But you have to be disruptive. I mean, some, for example, like a friend of mine who created, found the Wheels Up, the privatization company, Kenny disrupted the whole privation. In fact, he says he democratized it. Right. So, so you get to say to yourself, what category can, can we can we can we own? And also, leading brands lead, following brands follow. I want to give you two illustrations. Okay. McDonald's owns children's hamburgers. Wendy's owns adult hamburgers. Burger King is in the mushy middle. They own nothing. So the more Burger King nibbles away and says McDonald's is not, you know, fresh or whatever they're going to say, whatever. If McDonald's reacts to Burger King, it fractures their leadership position. The best thing Burger King, I mean, McDonald's can do is ignore Burger King. Yes, they do. So the more the falling brands try to attack the leading brand, what does it do? It further positions the leading brand as the leading brand in the market. So the more a negative or fractured brand goes after the leading brand, it helps the leading brand's posture or positioning even more effectively. I'll give you something else, another example. Again, today's all conceptual, right? I was consulting with the Girl Scouts of America. And about a year ago, you might have recalled that the Boy Scouts are, not, are now recruiting girls for the Boy Scouts. And about 3,000 girls uh, signed up. I'm just telling you, if I had a daughter 10 years old now, um, my daughter would not be joining the Boy Scouts, period. And yeah, recently, the Boy Scouts just uh, went bankrupt. So the CEO and the board said to me, Larry, what do we do? How do we, how do we, how do we respond to the Boy Scouts allegations that they're better than us? I said to them in New York, I said, no, that's the key word. You don't respond. The Boy Scouts are fractured. They're having problems. You don't want to respond to a fractured brand. You, you got $20 million from Raytheon. You're doing STEM. You're, doing, you're selling entrepreneur, entrepreneurship. You're teaching all the girls about um, science, about technology. It's not like years ago. When, when my daughter was 10 years old, all she did in the Girl Scouts was made potholders and made, I think, macaroni. And she froze the macaroni and she painted it and she made a little bracelet, right? Today, it's a whole different world. So the more, if the, if the Girl Scouts responded to the Boy Scouts, it would have diluted their brand and it would, it would have shown that they're fractured. It doesn't make sense. So what they do is they, they took my advice, they ignored the Boy Scouts and it turned the Boy Scouts from bankrupt and they're, they're sucking wind now. But the best thing is when you're a leading brand, stay, stay to your story, keep doing what you're doing, ignore your competition, ignore how they're nibbling away from you because all we'll do is make you volatile. You have to stay strong, stay committed to your business story, and keep just moving forward. Okay. Again, if you ever respond to a negative or falling brand, you will crack your brand voice. Okay. So I talked about bold and marketing. I mentioned earlier, you don't have to be the first. Like I'll give you an example. About it's all about packaging and repositioning and being disruptive. Tide did not create detergent. But Thai did create a category which is on the go stain remover. And they have no competition. Purell did not create disinfectant, but they created the portable disinfectant machine. They were the first to win. The first in the mind wins. GoFundMe did not create fundraising, but they are the most trusted fundraising platform in the country today. They have raised collectively $50 billion. About 10,000 people a week start a GoFundMe program. And the amount of money that they, they've generated is amazing. You know, look at other, look at Open Table. Open Table did not create a restaurant reservations, but 
but they created a concept of technology to make reservations online. And we go on and on and on. So again, I'm just reinforcing, reinstating, you don't have to be the first inventor, but how you look at something, how you package it, how you promote it, how you integrate it to be a first can be really quite powerful, okay? So I tell people all the time also, don't try to be the best, just be the only, because anybody can do good or better or be the best. So, you, so I don't want you to ever tell me or tell your, your team members or your board or your other staff members, or oh, we're the best, because the best doesn't win. It really doesn't. You got to be the only. What are you the only at? And this goes back to what are you really selling? But what are you the only at that makes you loud and proud? And when you're the only, you build reputational capital. And when you're the only in something and you build reputational capital, you really decrease your advertising and promotional costs because that word of mouth, and today more than ever before, with social media, with LinkedIn, uh, people sharing information, whatever, that, that, that viral world will do, will do a hell of a job for you. But just say to yourself, and again, I said, I think um, I mentioned earlier, do a deep dive within your internal organization and say to yourself, what are we the only at? Or what can we be the only at? And then go for it. You have nothing to lose. Okay. Again, you don't want to be a commodity. When you're a brand, people buy because of value perceived. When you're a commodity, they buy for one thing alone, price. And unless you're Target or Walmart, I don't want to be in the price business. And neither do you. Okay? So you want to break through the marketing clutter and you want to be known as an aspirational brand. And I say aspirational brand, you know, Jack Walsh once told me when he was alive, I had the good fortune to know Jack. Um, he always said, if you don't change the game, the game's going to change you. And I want to share with you another concept about being aspirational. Nobody needs your club. Nobody needs me. Nobody needs CMAA. So even though in college they teach about consumer needs, nobody went to Steve Jobs and said, hey, Steve, I need a watch for my arm to walk around the street. Or Steve, I need this phone here so I can walk around the street talking to people. No, no one told me I needed it. He created a want. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, hold on. I hit something. Sorry about that. Oh, hold on. Sorry about that. Where was it? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. You want to be a one, okay? And I'll give you some examples. Nobody needs a Rolex watch. People want it. And when they want something, we find the money for it. Nobody needs to spend. I'm just, I'm just you know, generalizing. Nobody needs to spend $100,000 to join a club, $105,000 to join a club, $195,000 to join a club. No one needs to do that. No one needs to buy a, a Ferrari. But we want it, we find, and we emotionally connect with it, we justify it, we, can't, we feel we can't live without it, like your club, we'll find the money to join your club because we want it, not need it. My wife does not need an Audi convertible. There are five train stations here locally, you go to Boston before COVID-19, or two miles away. All she really needs is a bicycle, but she wanted the Audi, so she has it. You know, another, another concept also about wants and needs we all have a budget for a car. Well, we, we have a certain budget, right? And we all have a budget for a house. And just think back, the last, car, the last car or house that you bought, did you stick to your budget? And the answer primarily is no. So let's say someone comes to your golf club community, whatever, and they see a home, they have a budget, they wanna spend 750, whatever it might be, for a home there. 
and they fall in love with a home that's 875, has a view of the golf course or the lake or the water, has a better swimming pool. Um, it, the, 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 the village location it's in is better than the other one. If we really want it, then we can justify, well, you know, we work hard, we spend other things, we deserve it, we find the money. Same thing with cars. We always have some kind of budget. I want to spend $50,000 for a car. And then we test drive five different brands and the car that costs, costs 62.5, we fall in love with it, we find the money. So I'm saying to you for your clubs, you, you got to create a great brand story so people want your club because you have to tell your people, nobody needs to join our club. Nobody needs to live in our community. They really don't need it. But we have to be an aspirational brand. People want to live here. Uh, the media want to write about us. People want to join. They want to bring guests. Uh, outside organizations want to hold their golf tournaments here. It's all about want, 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 not need. So keep looking under your umbrella, under your brand umbrella, and what elements of our brand can we create that we're a want that people will find the money and will emotionally connect with them because they feel, again, there's no brand quite like ours in the space that we live in. Okay. The next um, tip I want to share with you is every idea has an expiration date. And so if you want to unlock the market, if you want to go for a different market demographic, or you want to go out to different markets for maybe um, on Mondays, uh, golf tournaments, different commercial organizations that you want to sponsor, you want to have sponsor their program at your club, whatever, then there's an expiration date because you can't wait that long. If you wait that long and you try to cross, you know, cross every T, dot every I, somebody else locally will beat you to the punch. You have to take a risk. And so in doing that, this slide here says it all. I'll just read it to you. Mind to market in 3,000 days. We've repeatedly squashed the idea for almost 10 years, but now that our competitor's launching it, let's drop everything else and ship in July. Doesn't that fly in the face? And maybe some of you are smiling or laughing saying, yeah, that happens with my staff and my board that we wait and wait and wait, and then with Johnny come lately. You know, so it doesn't fly in the face of what I said early on, right? I mean, you have, to, you have to get to market and you have to go with what you have. And I used to consult with Gillette. They made decisions on three things. First, it was our research. Second, experience. Third, gut feel. My feeling is that gut feel should be 50%. If you feel it's right and you, you have a sense, and many of you on a call today have been with CMAA for many, many, many years, and you have a good gut sense, you have good instincts of, of what will work, what, what won't work, and you got to go for it. Like my wife will always say, you make a bad decision, whatever. I'm not saying bad decision. You make a decision that doesn't work out well. It's not a life sentence. It really isn't. But if you don't, you'll be so pissed seeing a competitor do, do something you want to do, and they, they beat you to the punch a week in advance, and you'll be livid saying, we, we dropped the ball. We should have done it. And then they're enjoying the luxury of the, of the success. So of all the hazards out there, it's a great one by Sam Sneed. Some of you may have seen this quote before, fair is the worst. And I tell people all the time, on the other side of success is fear and failure. We can't live fear and failure, folks. We can't. You know, if you live fear, you'll never get past the goalpost. You have, to, you have to go for it and go for it and go for it. I'm not saying just roll the dice like, like a roulette wheel, but you have to calculate a risk. And, that, and that's what it's all about. Um, you know, and I mentioned earlier, fear is the worst and, uh, and so is um, failure. 
but you know you have to be you have to be inventive, and you have to um, just you, you got to move. And my next slide says it all. When you have opportunities, and you have the capability to move, you move. Period. You know, um, I've seen so many clubs and so many companies I've dealt with the last thirty years have not moved, and oh, the coulda, woulda, shouldas I've heard. You know, we're a month too late. So and so did something we've been doing it for years. We haven't talked about it. You, you got to move. You have to move, and especially in today's ever-changing, rapidly evolving, um, competitive landscape. You got to move now. You really have to, and you have to invent, and you got to create, and you got to embrace your people, your team. You have to instill in their minds. It's time to move. Don't be shy. Don't be timid. Speak up, and let's let's get the job done. Okay. <clears throat> the, the fifth um, idea I want to share with you is don't be afraid of being hit by a pitch. And I always tell people, if you're batting a thousand, then you're losing. And when you're losing, that means you're complacent. Um, I always tell people, what are you doing to ensure your brand is fresh and relevant? Many people say, oh, we can't do that. Or we did it before. Or it never worked out. Uh, we don't have the money, we don't have the budget. You, I know, on and on and on and on and on. I'm telling you, those people and they say is you want to get them out of your club, you don't want to talk to them. They, they're, you know, when some one, one more person says to me, we tried it five years ago, it didn't work. It's like, you know, move them to another, move them somewhere else in the club or or lay them off or whatever it might be. But you cannot grow a business by being naysayers and being afraid of being hit by a pitch. You just can't. You can't play it safe. Banning a thousand is playing it safe. You know, I mentioned earlier, if you don't change a game, the game's gonna change you. You can't bat a thousand in today's day and age and live with what you've been doing the last 10, 15 years and think you're gonna grow and sustain your growth. It's not gonna happen. So look at talk about, you know, about, um, about success or failure. I wanna read this thing from Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost over 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Do you think Michael Jordan worried about fear and failure? I mean, look at all the, if you want to call it failure, all the things he did not achieve in his life, and, and, look, and look what he's achieved, right? So I, in some industries, people are more, um, I'll say they're, they're more, go with the flow, status quo, but you, but you just can't be. And, and again, this world is changing so much. And people, for example, are looking to maybe join a country club, they're looking at three or four. And one club, they're just gonna mostly connect and go, that's my club, that's where, I, that's where I wanna be. And so I tell people all the time, you know, you have to create a brand voice, but you have to take that risk. And many of you might've heard before about taking a risk, but I really bet a lot of your staff are timid, they're shy, they don't want to move the needle. They don't want to be called out. They don't want to um, recommend something that's not going to work. And they just kind of like smother themselves. Well, they smothered themselves. They're smothering your club. And today we're talking about external branding, but internal branding is your people, right? So we talk about internal branding. The next tip I want to talk about is you want to choreograph an exceptional member and guest experience. You got to ignite those around you in your club to love and respect your brand. The people who work for you have to live and breathe your brand like you do. And they have to know 
How does their role contribute to the success of the club? How does their role align with your vision or the board's vision to ensure that everybody is rowing in the same direction? Um, it, it just really, um, it, it's interesting that, um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, Annabelle can do good or better, but you know, what can you do to deliver the unexpected? That is such a powerful concept. But again, it's about a gesture, which we're gonna talk about in a few minutes, whatever. But you have to really, you know, um, make sure that people are indoctrinated to what your brand voices, to what you expect from them, what members expect, and then most importantly, how their role, again, contributes to the experience that you want to deliver to your members. I want to show you something that's really interesting on delivering the experience, all right? And this is going to blow you away. Bain and company, they did a survey with 300 CEOs of the Fortune 1000 companies. And out of 80% and 80 of these companies surveyed by Bain but said that they deliver, without a doubt, an exceptional experience to their customers. When Bain then went to their customers and asked the customers about the experience, do you know what percent agreed with the executives and CEOs? When they asked about the same perceptions, only 8% agreed that they have, they're receiving exceptional experience from their brand. And to me, 8% is like zero, isn't it? I mean, why is it such a dysfunction, a disconnect between what the customer perceives as, the expect as expectations about the brand experience and what the CEO in the C-suite thinks they're delivering. This is huge. And also it's a fact, I read in the Have Business Review last week that the average CEO works between 65 and 70 hours a week. And they only spend 3% of their time with a customer. So how can you enhance and improve and change and create a customer experience if you don't know what the customer experience looks like and you don't know what the customer is feeling? Another take one step further, FedEx, for example, every only 1% increase in customer loyalty represents $100 million in revenue. That's huge. So you get to say to yourself, right? How do we stay closer? How do we deliver an experience so we know it? And I, I want to give you a couple of examples. And these are the real examples. The last couple of years, I've gotten to know uh, the CEO of Delta Airlines quite well. And Ed Bastian is the CEO of a $58 billion company. And we all know that right now they're tanking with COVID-19 and they're losing about 94% of their revenue, or 90% now up to the last, maybe last few months. But Ed Bastian, the CEO of um, Delta, when he travels four hours or less, do you know how he travels? He does not travel in a, in a private jet. He does not travel first class. Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta, travels in coach, travels in the back of the plane, sits in the middle seat. It's fact. He said to me when I interviewed him at the Harvard Club a year and a half ago, and then we did a virtual um, fireside chat back in July, his words are always, Larry, that's where the action is. How can I enhance my customer experience if I'm not living it? And Ed Bastin, the CEO of Delta, will go to the gate. He will sit there. He'll walk down the gangway. He'll walk through first class right into the back because that's where the action is. He says, you know, he says, hey, without a doubt, Larry, I love my... Um, I love my first class passengers, but what do I learn from a Wall Street Journal and a glass of wine? 
my customer really is in the coach. And I have to know what the coach is doing and how they're experiencing it. So that's one example, okay? I know a lot of you in hospitality, you probably know, I have to know through my program at Harvard, Hervé Hamler, the CEO and the like, founder of the Ritz-Carlton um, Hotel Company, like 40 years ago. And probably a lot of you know, um, I heard of Ed Staros, and, I, and Ed, I guess, is the co-founder. And he, I guess, recently was a managing director of the Ritz-Carlton Naples Resort. And I, I have an email that he sent me. I'm, I'm just going to show you. I'm going to read just a little um, verbiage. He sent me a little while ago. And it's so true. Larry, I'm, all, I'm often asked about the longevity of Ritz-Carlton Naples. And my response is, our resort will remain relevant as long as we engage every guest. And the only way to do that is to engage each and every employee first. I spend much of my day with our teams discussing every guest experience and interaction they've had. By encouraging their inventive ideas, we are able to continuously develop and motivate and enhance guest experience. The employees come first. The last paragraph, he says, there are days in fact when I never make it to the office because I go from employee to employee, from guest to guest, and those are by far my most favorite days in the job. Doesn't that say everything about, you know, a general manager, a CEO living and breathing what the customer, what the member wants. Otherwise, you know, I always tell people, how can you be living in the ivory tower and creating strategies if you don't know what's on, going on at the ground level? You know, so, so you really have to say to yourself, I'm sure many of you do, I'm, I'm sure, believe me, many of you do very well at this year, but I'm just here today to kind of reinforce the message that you have to spend as much time as you can with a customer and you, and you know more than I do, Customer is finicky. Even me, we're finicky. It's a hard job in hospitality, working with consumers, especially in private clubs who demand, 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 expect, expect, expect. And sadly, many times I say humorously, nothing's ever right. You know, I, I know my country club that I belong to, and I'm, as you can tell, I'm from Boston and I park my car in Harvard Yard, but I do a lot in Florida. And I have a lot of good friends in Florida and South Florida with general managers or in the golf industry. But, um, you know, um, when I go to my country club, I drive up that driveway, I, 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 I check out. I'm not there to worry about anything. I'm not there to argue with anybody. I'm not there to be serious. I just want to enjoy life. It's my second home. However, there are, there are members I know. I'll give you an example. Um, last um, year before COVID, we had an Italian night. And the general manager called me in the next month. to Larry, I had to talk to you, Mr. Galco. I was like, just call me Larry. And he says, 12 members are not very happy with our Italian night the other night. And I said, Steve, why is that? And he asked me two questions. Did you recall, do we have, do, do we not have enough greenery around the buffet tables with the, with, the, with the food? And I said, honestly, I said, I didn't even see greenery. All I was, I had drinks, I had my friends there, I had great food. I'm not looking at the greens. I'm not looking at the flowers. I'm not looking at anything. I'm enjoying my life. But as you know better than I do, there are members out there that, that had their radar screen on. They, they have their, um, their range finder and they're trying to look at everything and go, gotcha, 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 gotcha. And, you know, it must drive you crazy, but some people just, some people don't know how to turn it off. And when they have to drive up that driveway, they're still, you know, boom, 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 boom. To me, I drive up, I drive up my drive in my country club and I'm in a bubble. I'm away from reality. I'm enjoying life, you know? But, but you know, so, so it's, it's so important to um, understand that and, you know, when I used to consult with Disney, I want to show you the slide. This is a quote from the prior chairman of Disney, and I, it's word for word, and it really says it all. 
and basically Disney says, what is a brand? A brand is a result of a thousand small gestures. It is our job as marketers to make each of these gestures count. We do it by creating active brand experiences using every counter interaction a customer has with our brand as an opportunity to show them why our brand is the best. You have the opportunity to fashion your organization or your club where everyone's involved, everyone's fully engaged, and everyone's a player. So I say to you all on the call today, if Disney can do this about gestures, and again, I mentioned early on, gestures has nothing to do with budget. If, you can, if they can do this with 65,000 people in Orlando, you can do it with 100, 200, 400, 500 club employees, how many you have, you can do it at your club. And I also talk about like Ritz Carlton is, for example, is a Ritz Carlton room, is any room worth $1,000? Of course not. But the experience is worth it. Again, it's a want. We find the money. I, I was at Ritz Carlton with my daughter in Puerto Rico a couple of years ago. I was giving a speech at the Puerto Rico Hotel and Tourism Association. And I was there for four days. And I said, hey, one of my kids ought to come down here, enjoy the beach, right in the water. Come on down. My daughter came down, right? So she needs some hairspray. She's got a hairspray. So I called the Ritz Carlton at seven in the morning, asked them what time does the salon open? Oh, no problem, Mr. Galco. In five minutes, again, they delivered the unexpected. In five minutes, they brought me the hairspray. And then, you know, to me, it's a gesture. Again, I have nothing, I love, I, I belong to Marriott and so forth and so on, but at a Marriott or a Hyatt or a Hilton, wherever you also go, they'll tell you, right? The salon opens at 10 o'clock. Come then. Ritz Carlton goes, what do you want? You've got it. So again, if the experience in totality, like the Ritz, if you wanna get your ticket for flying home, if you go to a regular hotel, non-Ritz, a lot of them will say to you, go downstairs, your second right, past the gift store, past the men's, uh, the men's room, go past the pool, jump over a bridge, and there's the business office. I'm being facetious, right? But they'll tell you how to go at the Ritz. Let me show you where it is. Again, it's a gesture. So how can you enhance the gestures at your club so people feel important and they live and breathe their club? And again, they, they, they want your club. They love being there. They're going to tell their friends to join your club. They're going to tell your friends to buy property there because they feel that they're living in a world unlike any other club, any other community that exists in Florida. So again, is a, is a room worth $1,000? No, no, no rooms for $1,000. But is the experience worth a thousand dollars a day. That's up for you to make your decision. Either special, special occasion it is. If you, if you love it, you aspire to it, you'll find the money if you want it. But again, you know, it, it's a differentiator, it really is. And I'm sure many of you in hospitality, many of you probably maybe one time worked at Ritz Carlton, so you know what I'm talking about. But I can't say it enough, it's all about gestures and nothing to do with budget. It's, I'm talking today again about conceptually of how you take a fresh look at your brand, do a deep dive, have an immersive experience with your, with your team members, your staff, your employees, your board, and take a really good um, collaborative experience and have a, big, have a big idea think tank of what's our brand really known for and what we want to be famous for for many years to come. Okay. Number seven, um, I say, brand set, more today than ever before, brand citizenship, you got to do good. What are you doing to give back to the community? Purpose-driven brands are winning the hearts and minds of the consumers. Now, some brands start out, I'll say, for example, like Woolby Parker, uh, Newman's Own, Tom's, um, uh, Bombas. 
They, okay, what can you do to have a meaningful conversation with your members and the public at large to show people that besides, you know, having a great brand, a great experience, we're giving back to initiatives that are near and dear to our heart. And those brands that are doing good are winning. And again, it cannot be camouflaged like it's a PR stint, like we're giving $500,000 to Boys and Girls Club. Anybody can write a check. It's not about writing checks. Again, people buy brands that have meaningful conversations with them and they can identify. So if you're doing something besides a story, so when someone comes to your club for a tour and they maybe play around the golf and you take them to the tour of the clubhouse and everything else, and then it's only like, you know, one thing also we're very proud of that we, we, we sponsor or, or we have an endeavor with the Children's Hospital in Miami or in Orlando, another organization, whatever, Again, in your, in your portfolio of your brand message, everything in totality works to enforce that brand voice of what you have. And then that potential member, um, that potential owner of real estate is going to say, you know something? I can identify that brand. I feel good about that brand. They're doing good. And, that, and that, that's important to me. The CEO of Merck Pharmaceuticals said to me several years ago, said, Larry, in the world of corporate world, purpose before profits. If you have no purpose, you will have no profits. And that just kind of aligns with the thinking we're doing today. And again, um, as, far, as far as doing good. So you want to keep company with other leading brands, create partnerships that are strategic and other philanthropic endeavors that are genuine and reflect meaningful conversations. I'm sure a lot of you are doing certain things with organizations philanthropically, but you're going to even do more. And again, your members will love you for it. The potential members will, will, um, will resonate with it. The media will write about it. But again, the keyword is genuine because you don't want to come across as a PR spend. You're doing it just for promotion. It's going to be short-lived because that's not going to cut it at all. Okay. As we end right now, as I said earlier, write the book you want to read. Envision the journey. What's your journey? And I say to you, what are you known for today? But if you want to embark on a new journey or modify your journey and enhance your brand image and reinvent or reposition your brand voice, what do you have to do? And then what can we do to win tomorrow? So what do we have to do to get from today to tomorrow? And really, it's not hard. It really isn't. As long as you're determined to take your brand to the next level. You have to be determined. And not just you personally, but you as a brand champion, your club, you have to instill that motivation, that ambition, that, that emotion with your people. So they sign up for what you envision. And then, you know, everyone's marching to the same drum, or rolling the same direction. Everyone's, everyone's looking the same end goal. And I want to last with one quote. Which I love it from Richard Branson. If your dreams don't scare you, they are too small. And is that true? If they don't scare you, they're too small. That means you're not making any indent. That means you're not being disruptive, you're not being bold, you're not changing the game. You're not really taking your brand to the next level. You're really a me too brand. You're in the sea of sameness. You're a commodity, you're not a brand. And you know, eventually you're gonna lose market share. I always tell people, if you don't capture mind share, you're not gonna drive market share. But really, if your dreams are too small, then you're going to be eaten up alive. And you got to really, you know, like, like Mark Cuban says, every minute of the day, 
that you're not trying to build your brand and drive more revenue. Your competitor is trying to eat your lunch every minute of the day when you're trying even harder, you know? So I, I agree with, with Richard Branson. I met him several times, thank, with, I was good fortune through Greg Norman a while ago, but it's amazing what he does. I mean, think of it also, um, I went out, as I was thinking right now, his company's called Virgin. And many years ago, people thought Virgin, he, he created how to do with, with a maybe a sexual, a sexual connotation, which doesn't, but everything Richard Branson did, did or does, he enters Virgin territory. Never been done before. What can you do in your Virgin territory that you can take advantage of that no one else is doing? Maybe there's something to do with, with, with your, maybe your range, maybe your driving range. At nighttime, it's dark, right? Maybe you create like a little top golf area there. Maybe you create, when you put some lights here and you have a program, a family program, uh, almost like a, a golf uh, ski ball kind of program. But, you know, what, what can you do to invent? What can you do, like Branson says, what can you do to enter virgin territory, okay, and really rise above the marketing clutter, break through the marketing noise, and be known for something special and be a real um, name brand, not just a brand name. Okay, on, the on that, my last slide is be a brand champion. Really, you have to build your brand, make it more appealing, make it more authentic, make it more personal, and above all, make it more powerful. And as I said earlier, our landscape today is so much more competitive. The media we, options we have today are so much more varied, and we have more touch points, and we have to work that much harder to make sure that we really are enhancing our brand equity, we're building a reputational capital. We're communicating and communicating a very compelling message about our brand, unlike any other brand, club brand in the market. And also make it, make it that we are emotionally connecting with these folks, not just rationally. Anybody can put a brochure together. Anybody can show couples playing tennis. Anybody can show couples playing golf. Been there, done that. I'm going to say again, it's a yawner, right? But what are you doing that keeps your brand fresh and relevant so you're the brand of choice? when someone's considering where they want to buy, where they want to live, where they want to join. Okay. Um, before we end here right now, I, I, I mentioned to Beth and she wanted me to share with you really um, wh whether I do keynote speeches for CMAA or my speakers bureau or my one day marketing retreats, whatever, um, or I have a podcast in Boston, CBS, where we, 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 I've had Pete Mavacqua, who as you know, was formerly the CEO of PGA of America, now he's chairman of NBC Sports, and like Greg Norman and so forth, that basically um, um, anybody that does what I do as a strategist or growth advisor, I'm an educator. I mean, it's just different mediums. I, so what, what am I, I'm selling education and under my brand umbrella, my personal brand, there's different things I do with. So I'm, I'm, I'm making an offer, uh, maybe offer is a bad word. I'm extending a personal gesture or courtesy. Anybody on this call today, I really, I'm very serious. If you want to, talk with me after we're over today, make a time to talk to me on the phone, gratis. There's no obligation, there's no agenda. If you wanna chat with me for about an hour about some of the challenges you're having, that you wanna just bounce some ideas off me and see what I think, if I can add value, if I can give you one or two tips or insight that's gonna make a difference, I'd be delighted to. So really don't be bashful, I reach out to me. My email is larry at larrygulka.com. And again, there is no agenda. It's a one hour call, whatever it might be. I don't care how long it lasts. But if I can help you, help your brand and help you drive more success, I'm here for you. So please, you know, don't feel bashful. Don't, uh, don't be bashful about it. Reach out to me. 
And uh, really, I would delight to make a time next two, three, four weeks, whatever it is, and chat about it and just share with me some of your challenges, some of the opportunities, some of the trends in the industry that you're looking at. Some could be um, uh, threats, some could be opportunities. So any way I can help you, really I'm here for you. So please reach out to me and I'd be delighted to chat with you in a very casual way, okay?